Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome back to Locked On 76ers. I'm your host, Keith Pompey. Happy Monday to you. It's Monday, December the 16th. Well, Mark, the Sixers didn't exactly look like an Eastern Conference contending team last night. They lost to the Brooklyn Nets 109-89. to But I'm going to be honest with you, Mark. I don't know how much stock I can put into this loss. Like, typically you'll say, oh, this team looks horrible or, or, wow, I don't know. To me, they look like a team that was tired. They were a team without Joel Embiid. It doesn't look good that the Brooklyn Nets were playing the second game of a back-to-back. You know, they flew in from Toronto. But... The Sixers just looked tired to me. And when you think about it, this was their third game in four days. So Toronto, I mean, excuse me, Brooklyn played back-to-backs, but this was the Sixers' third and fourth. So I don't know if I, how much stock I can put into this result. I just don't. And, and also, a main thing, Joel Embiid didn't play. No question, Keith. They they looked very tired. Uh, Embiid didn't play. Um, but weren't the Nets without their starting backcourt, if I don't recall, yeah. of Kyrie Irving and Karis LeVert? So, you know, I get all that. You give them a pass. They're not going to win every game. <laughs> Let's be honest. They had won, they had won five in a row, but th- this was a pure clunker. Uh it just it it wasn't good, and I I would be very surprised if they didn't come out with some fire on Wednesday against the Miami Heat because this is not the way they want to be uh, they want to be showcased uh, playing a, just a real lackluster performance. Yeah, it was lackluster. Uh, the thing is, they just look sluggish. That like I said before, they look like a team that just struggled. I mean, guys, I'm not saying they went through the motions. There was one point in the first half where they were like on a fast break. It was Ben Simmons coming up the I mean, running up the middle of the court with dribbling the ball. Tobias Harris is on the wing. And it looked like Ben like did a stutter step as he went into a layup. It was like he was counting his steps. He looked like a to me looked like a long jumper who was about to like do a foul and like try to slow up his steps real quick. And he missed the layup. Um it was a guy in front of them, but it just seemed like they, things were amiss. Now, when you look at it, the 76ers shot 19% from three. They were five for 26. They shot 58.8% from the foul line. They committed 16 turnovers, which for the Sixers is kind of good, <laughs> right? But the, the bad part was um, the uh, – the Brooklyn Nets scored 21 points off of it. Now, something else. The Brooklyn Nets had 64 points in the paint. 64. Spencer Dinwiddie did what he normally does. I mean, here's a guy who used to kill the Last year, he used to kill the Sixers. Spencer Dinwiddie had 24 points. He was 9 for 21. But he was just getting in the lane. He was just basically like doing whatever he wanted to. It was like the parting of the Red Sea. Well, Keith, in, in my observations, I wrote he comes off the pick and uses a pick as well as any player in the NBA. And he only needs that little space, and I don't care who was on him. Ben Simmons was on him for a while. 
Matisse Thibel, James Ennis. Then they, they, they wanted to put Josh um, uh, Josh Richardson on him in the second half. Richardson picks up his fourth foul within the first two minutes, and there goes that plan. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Dinwiddie, uh, just a tremendous creator, and, and, and uh, he's not a guy that's, you know, he's not like a Russell Westbrook where he'll just dart by you. You know, but he slices and dices you, and uh, he, he's a tremendous player. Yeah, he is. He's a tremendous player. You know, the, the the thing about it was, though, when you look at the stats, defensively, the Sixers had 13 blocks. I mean, Tobias Harris had two. Al Horford had three. Ben Simmons had two. Um, Normally that Nor- that'll Nor- win you a game. Exactly. Norvell Pell had yeah. two. Matisse had one, James Ennis had one, and Kyle O'Quinn had one. They had 13 blocks compared to one for the Brooklyn Nets. Now, the thing is, but when you look at Al Horford, Al Horford had three blocks. He had a steal. Offensively, he didn't have it going. I mean, this was his first game back after missing two with um, left hamstring tightness and left knee knee soreness. But he was 5 for 15 from the field. He was 0 for 6 on threes. You look at Josh Richardson, 5 for 15, 0 for 4 on threes. Tobias Harris shot 8 for 17, 0 for 3 on threes. I mean, it just seems like guys just couldn't make shots. No, no. And it's interesting because um, we asked Al Horford in the locker room afterward about the threes, and he said, when he shot all six of them, he thought they were going in. He said they felt good and, and everything like that. He wasn't using any excuse that he missed the last two games or anything like that. And Keith, you know, sometimes shots don't go in, but it wasn't like they were forced threes that he was taking. He was open, you know, on, on most of them and uh, just couldn't make them. Yeah, he just couldn't make them. He couldn't make them. But then Josh was missing as well, though. Well, Richardson... Horford and Tobias were combined over thirteen from beyond the arc. Yeah, you're not gonna win a lot of games like that. No, you're not at all. Now the thing about Tobias, he did other things offensively. I mean, like I said, he was eight, eight for sixteen. So if you take away, excuse me, eight for seventeen. So if you take away those threes, he's eight for fourteen, which is a good night. Um, Mike Scott was two for four. Um, and and, not, and also, Matisse Thibel had food poisoning. Yeah. He believes he had food poisoning. He woke up yesterday morning. He said he was feeling sick. He was saying he wanted to try to battle through it, right? The problem is, he said whenever he exerted a lot of energy on offense, he had to walk back on defense. He was feeling so bad. So it was one of those things where, you know, he played four minutes in the third quarter, and then it was like, okay, you're done. You know, you're yeah. done. Um, but here's my question to you. What do you make of Norvell Pell getting all this, all these minutes? I mean, Norvell Pell was a guy who, he's a two-way guy. I don't know how many days he has exact, but I think his allotted time is about to 
ex- expire like in a week or so. For people that don't know, the rule is you get what forty forty five days. Right? Yeah, yeah. With the NBA team, if you're a two way player, and then they have to make a decision, right? Yeah, they have to make a decision, and what happens is, and you either have to, you know, just let the guy just stay on the on the on the G League team, or if you want to bring him up you would have to create a roster spot for him. Now, my thing is, you know, you have a guy like Trey Burke, for instance, is on a partial guaranteed deal. If not, if you waive someone else, you're going to have to waive a guaranteed guy. Now, you can still cut him. You just have to be – you're just going to be on the hook for that salary. Now, when I see a guy like Norvell Pell coming up all the time or a guy like – I shouldn't say coming up. I should say a guy who really didn't get any playing time early in the season, and now all of a sudden he's the backup when, you know, Embiid didn't play or Al Horford didn't play. You know, he's taking Kyle O'Quinn's minutes. So that's either telling me that the Sixers are A, they're trying to make a decision to see if he's going to be a guy who's going to move forward with. Or B, they already made a decision, and they could either be shopping him, or they're, they're about to get rid of somebody so he can be the, the full timer. All I know is, like I think, I mean, looking at this, you have to assume a move is going to be made because he is playing and he's also contributing. Now again, he's raw. I mean, there are certain times where he turns the ball over for like three-second violations on the offensive end. You know, one day he had, last game, he had a three-second defensive violation. But when he's out there, he's exciting. I mean, he's extremely exciting. Remember when he blocked that DeAndre Jordan's dog? Yeah, but it wasn't really a block, though. I mean, because I think he kind of, I think DeAndre, like, hit the, well, he might have altered a little something. But you see, the after that, DeAndre kept trying to come at him. <laughs> well, the other thing is, he's he's out of position sometimes. He gets out of position. He's, 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 he commits too easily because he wants to make the block. He's got a lot of he's got a lot of work to do, but he's got he's got some raw raw talent there. And the other thing is, Keith, when he's on the floor, he's he's not really involved in the offense unless he can get a follow up dunk. <laughs> you know, his his offensive game you. You had mentioned he's raw, and that's that's an understatement. So there's there's a lot that he he needs to work on, but he does bring energy, and 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 um, it's going to be an intriguing decision, in my opinion. What, you know whether they're going to stay with him and, and keep trying to develop him because that's a very important position on this team, the the third center with, with the time that Horford or Embiid has missed. Uh, very important. Well, here here's the deal. So. NBA teams are allowed to bring up two two-way players for a maximum of 45 days. After that, teams have to sign the player to the regular season 15-man roster or send him to the G League. In the former case, the Sixers will have to release someone to make room for that player. So that's it. It's 45 days. Um, So, you know, what you have is you have 15 full-time players, and then you have two two-way players. So from what I'm hearing, his days are getting close, um, and they're going to have to decide something to see what, what happens. 
you know, Kyle O'Quinn isn't as good as a defender. I don't think there's anyone on the team who's as good as a defender as this guy is when in regards to blocking shots. But Kyle O'Quinn might be a better all-around guy. Right now, he's more polished than him. You know, Kyle O'Quinn's a good passer. But Norvell has a huge upside. Now, I'm not saying that they're going to waive either one, but in order for him to come, somebody on the team, and it may not be a center, but someone on the team is going to have to go, or who knows, maybe, you know, they'll release him and another team will pick him up, you know. But, you know, a guy like that who can block shots and and run the floor, there are going to be some teams that are going to take a gamble on him. Just to see what he can do. Yeah, there's. I don't think. I don't think there's any question about that. And I, it's funny, Keith. He has not played that much, but when he has, we've ended up talking about him. Remember when he made his debut? We were in Madison Square Garden against the Knicks, and uh, he, he did well. Uh, he, he certainly did well on uh, Friday night, and and now he's he did well against the Nets, and he and he played over 20 minutes too. Exactly. Uh, so it's, it's going to be a very interesting situation to watch. There's no question about it. No question about it. But look, when we get back from this commercial break, we're going to talk about is it time to panic with the Sixers or, like, like I said, what can we make of this loss? Um, you know, we'll talk about that when we get right back. All right, Mark. You know, the thing about the Sixers is funny to me because – the Sixers are never as good as you think they are, and they're never as bad as, as you think. And the Sixers are funny because, like, I tweeted out that they play down to their opponent. Like, they had a horrible loss against the Washington Wizards. We were both there last yeah. week in D.C. It was a horrible loss, right? And then they go and they play Toronto, where you assumed they were going to lose at home. And then they beat Toronto at home. And then they go to Denver. And, no, excuse me, Denver comes to Philly. They beat Denver. They go to Boston. They get a victory in Boston. And then they struggle against their next te- opponent, which who were the New Orleans Pelicans. And then they lose last night against Brooklyn. So th- when they typically lose, I always get emails I get direct messages on Twitter. I get messages on Facebook. And everyone is like doom and gloom. Now, my thing, what do you make of this loss? I I just, I think it's part of the NBA season. It, it It showed some flaws. It showed that when they don't do certain things like like shoot, like get in transition, like defending the paint, that, that they can they can lose to anybody. But remember, Keith, they they had won five in a row. They're not going to win them all. They are twenty and eight. I think they're an elite team that had a bad game, and it's not going to be the last bad game they have. But no, I'm uh, I'm not panicking, and I get some of the same emails you get every time they lose. Uh, 
it's a bad game, and they have to improve, and, and, they, and they can't really accept something like this. But it, it's happened, and it's going to keep happening, not only to them, but in an 82-game schedule. As Josh Richardson's told us afterwards, uh, these things happen over 82 games. The, the key is not to let it be a, a pattern. Here's the problem with the Sixers, and, and I, I think the Sixers are going to be fine. But like I, I said, I did a podcast earlier in the year, and I think I, I, was, I did it by myself um, at the crib. The thing about the 76ers, the Sixers are a team that's going to frustrate you. They just are. You know, right now you look at the Sixers, they have a lot of flaws. You know, they're winning, they're beating teams because they have more talent than most teams they play, right? You know, that that's what it is. They have more talent. But then they'll slip. And whenever whenever you say to yourself, man, this team is going to be great, Whenever people are on their bandwagon, it just seems like it always happens. That's when they do a clunker. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, man, come on, not now. I mean, and and that's the 76ers. But the thing is, they're going to win 50-plus games. Yeah. They're going to, at the end of the, the, as bad as they are, they're going to be a top three seed in the East. And, but then... Next thing you know, they're going to have a, a game, a spell where you're going to be like, "Oh my gosh, what the heck is Brett Brown doing?" You know. But then, whenever they win, you you praise Ben Simmons for being an unselfish player. You praise Embiid for make standing out there and showing range and hitting threes. But then when they lose, it's like, why is he out there? You know what I mean? Now again. Uh, maybe uh, I, I can understand that, but I'm just saying it, it's going to be that way with the Sixers. Now, again, do they have flaws? Yes, they have flaws. Did they lose of their eight losses? I want to say four of them were games they shouldn't have. They shouldn't have lost, right? But when you look at this team right now, if you really want to be real, they still have to make moves for them to be a contender. And for a championship, I'm sorry, y'all. Like they need, they need some more production off the bench. They just do. And in regards to a perimeter production, a consistent three-point shooter. I know Matisse is balling. I know that Furkan is giving you what you need. I know that James Ennis is playing well. But for the most part, Furkan is inconsistent. Um, James Ennis can be inconsistent. And Matisse makes rookie mistakes like every fifth game. So it's one of those things where they need some help. But, again, I do think that this was a clunker. Um, I do think this team was tired. I do think they just came out sluggish and fat. Um, excuse me, flat. But with all that load management, with all this, like, sports science, if they're coming, they came out flat, we, fat, we really got a problem. <laughs> but... But the thing is, is one of those things where, you know, I think that this team is better than the performance they had tonight. Well, Keith, just, just to outline your bench thing tonight, I believe they were outscored 40 to 23 on the bench. And you're right. And we've talked about this before in this podcast. We don't know from night to night who's going to be the guy that's going to give it to them offensively off the bench because it's been – uh, the players have been up, up and down. So, and I agree with you. I think they're they're going to make a move. They're going to make a move for, for a score. But I don't think they're going to be alone. I think all of, all your contenders are looking for that 
that type of player. So I think it's going to be very interesting around the, around the trade deadline, first week of February. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. But look, when we get right back, I want to talk to y'all a little bit about uh, Matisse Thibel when we get right back from this commercial break. All right, Mark. So, I don't know if you, if some of you guys know it, but um, I, in the Sunday's paper, it came online on on Saturday. I did a feature on Matisse Thibel, and um, you know, Mark wanted to talk about it today, so that's why we're talking about it on the podcast. Um, I don't know, it, 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 Mark, and, and tell you guys, like I did. I've, let me see. I, I want to be. I am a beat writer, but sometimes my paper in the Inquirer dot com they like for me to go out and do deep dive features on players. And um, you know, I, I got the utmost respect for Matisse because the story that was written was kind of like things that Matisse kind of didn't really want out there. Right. You know, and and if you guys haven't read it, I'm gonna just give you a little Cliff Notes version. Um, Matisse comes from a great family and, you know, his, his mother, his late mother was a doctor. His father's a mechanical engineer. Um, but they always gave back and Matisse never forgot that. And he still gives back. I mean, there's stories of, we all know by now, well, some of you probably don't, but when they travel and they go on the road, the rookies have to supply chick-fil-a food and at least on one occasion um the excess food matisse went out and gave it to homeless people when matisse was in at the university of washington he would load up the back of his suv with sweatshirts and jackets and late at night he would drive around the university district where the University of Washington is located at, and he would give clothes to homeless people. As a kid growing up, his mom used to always keep granola bars on her, and she would give them to homeless people when they saw it. I mean, the guy is more than just a basketball player. I mean, his mother was a genius. She was identified as a genius. And they're saying Matisse is, too. You know, but he just doesn't care about academic. He doesn't care about grade. He doesn't think that you should be based off, judged based off your grade point average. So it was a pleasure. Um, I recommend that you guys read it so you can get a good idea. Not because I wrote it, but I think you should read it just so you can get a good idea of who Matisse Thibel is. Well, Keith, the reason I thought it was important and people say, ah, oh, they're plugging this. Well, yeah, we are. Uh, but plenty of people have read it already. So uh, the the thing is, it was it was a comprehensive look at somebody, and these are the kind of stories that that you know newspapers can still do great. And and you talked to so many people and got so many different insights on him, and and a little bit of uh, we can tell the people Matisse really didn't want a lot of this out there. He, he didn't want it known that he's doing all these charitable things. And uh, I know you had to almost kind of tell him, Matisse, if, if we're going to tell the whole story, we got to tell it. But he, he would have preferred 
it not to be there. He he doesn't want to be recognized or or anything like that. And and there are just so so many uh, good tidbits. So many people talking about him. His coach at the University of Washington choked up when you were talking to him when he was uh, talking about about Matisse about what he meant uh, to him. And if, if people haven't read it, I I just I'd hardly hardly recommend it. it Certainly, uh, it's been well read already by by people, well received, and it's uh, it, it's just different. It it talked about his basketball and everything like that, but it also talked about really what an extraordinary young man he is. He, you know, just a just a rookie, and um, it it was just really well done. And I I I urge anybody if if you've read it, you enjoy it, drop Keith a line, just tell him and uh, talk about it because it's um. It transcends basketball. It's a lot more than just basketball. Yeah, but you know the the thing about it though, it it was a bucket list for me to go out there to Seattle, and it's not being and believe me, I didn't go out. So I went to Seattle and I went to Phoenix um, to do the story. But here's the thing, y'all. I didn't go to Seattle to catch a fish downtown. I didn't <laughs> even go there. I mean, I stayed a couple blocks from there. But the thing about Seattle, a lot of people don't know. For a city of its size, per capita, per capita, it probably has the most NBA players. How about that with Jamal Crawford, right? Well, not only this. Get this. Did you know that Jamal Crawford and Nate Robinson were high school teammates? I only knew that once you told me. Yeah, when I told you. How about that? So Jamal Crawford goes to a school called Rainier Beach, and they have six – they produced – Six guys in the NBA, right? Six. And um, the first guy was, um, what's his name? He played for the uh, played for the Sacramento Kings. Um, Doug Christie, right? But then Mike Bethay, who's the coach there, he's a legendary coach at, at Rainier Beach. He was an assistant then. But after that, you had Jamal. You had Nate Robinson. Um, you you got the point guard at the uh, the Spurs now. The the Dejounte the Murray. Yeah. They got a guy Kevin Porter Jr. Um, first round pick of first, the Cavs. Yeah, for the Cavs. One of the first round. And then they had a guy, another guy, Terrence Williams. So listen, the thing about it is though, there's so the, the coach. I was talking to Mike Bethay. And he's produced, he had 90, he has 99 guys who went on to play major college ball. 99. Yeah. That's ridiculous, dude. That, that, that that's is. ridiculous. But, then that's, but that's one high school. And then you got another high school that people forget Tony Roten went to, Brandon Roy. I mean, it's, it's a bunch of them out there. There's a lot of talent. Yeah, I want to know one thing. Okay. With Jamal Murray and Nate Robinson on the same team, how did anyone else get shots? <laughs> Those two like to fill it up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jamal, Jamal Crawford, yeah. yeah Jamal now, Crawford, now, but the thing is, when Crawford, see, Nate was, it was funny. The story I hear is, like, you know, Nate Robinson, he, he transferred, well, he lived, he, he lived in a different city, but his father is from there. So when he it was time for him to go to high school, he moved back, right? So he goes there. He's a freshman. 
Jamal is a senior. And they had the guy, Will Conroy. Will Conroy went there his freshman year, so he would have been a sophomore, but he transferred to Garfield. And Nate Robinson was like this little freshman who said, I want to guard Jamal. <laughs> and that's all he used to do is go hard against Jamal. That's all he did at practice was run hard. But they had other guys. But the funny thing is, Jamal was the tallest guy on the team. You know, I mean, they were a bunch of wings. Now, the funny thing is, it was like, yeah, how did they get shots? But, I mean, it was a lot to go by. I mean, they, 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 they played an up-tempo style. They did a lot. But it's weird because Jamal Crawford, although um, Doug Christie was the first one from that school to make it, they said Seattle didn't get on the map until Jamal Crawford. Because Jamal Crawford is funny. Most guys from Seattle, the top guys, they want to go to University of Washington, right? Most of them. Now, some of them will go to UCLA. They go to USC. They may go elsewhere. But at that time, Jamal Crawford had to go to Michigan to get his name out there, right? And since Jamal Crawford, it was nice for guys to go to UW, as they call it. But yeah. it, it's it's crazy, man. It's crazy out there. Well, you know what else is good about that? Those guys seem, and I, you know this better than I would, seem to have a real kinship. Like, they come back in the summers. They, oh, they love each other. They, they, they play, you know. Yeah, they, they yeah. Still play. And I've said this, and we talked about this on the podcast before. I'm still shocked that Jamal Crawford is not on an NBA team. I know the guy's, what, approaching 40. I don't care. I'm still shocked. And, and when we talk about contenders that can look for some offense, I mean, I... I the I Sixers? I, yeah. yeah we, Sixers we, we've both said that before. Yeah, but I, but there are other teams, too, that could use them. So it's, it's, it's amazing. And I, I, I've always enjoyed his game. So I, I'm hoping that he, uh, he's able to get, get back with a contender. He will. I mean, this guy is too good not to play. I mean, I know he's, I know he's 39, but he's too good not to play. There's going to be a team that uh, is going to pick them up. I mean, it, it, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Uh, Keith, um, also, just in closing, uh, I, I really want to congratulate you for that piece because, I, you know, we worked together, and I knew I just know how much work you put into it um, and, and just all the people you talked to and just all the time you put into it while you were covering the 76ers as well. So uh, it just... Uh, just a uh, congratulations and a, and a real, real good piece. Thanks, man. And uh, check is in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> hey, y'all, I want to thank y'all for listening and have a great day. Peace.